Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This month we're bringing you our popular community connection show and I think it's Denise, wouldn't you agree it's our favorite show each month? It is fun because I feel like it brings our community closer together. I I think this is a lot like when you go for a, you go to a gallery type reading and someone is getting a message and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, that message is for me." Sometimes I feel that way about the the stories or the questions or the comments that we get on this show is that it applies to so many of us. Yeah, I agree. And it's just so nice to hear from all the listeners and and see that we all are thinking the same thoughts and dealing with the same issues. So we hope you guys enjoy the questions and stories that we've gathered for you all this month. So if you can, just pretend that you're joining us around the table, pull up a chair, and I will start with the first question. Perfect. I love the podcast, ladies. Samantha, this is for you. I just listened to the recent podcast episode on sound healing. You made a comment about the You Are My Sunshine song and how you didn't like it and wouldn't sing it to your girls. Well, I don't like it either. So I've been singing my own version of it to my daughter since she was born. She's seven now. Here it is. It's sung to the same tune. Okay, guys, I'm not going to sing the song to you because your ears would bleed, but I will read you her words. (laughs) You are my sunshine. You are my sunshine. You make me happy every day. You'll always know, dear, how much I love you. My love for you will never fade. Isn't that lovely? It is. It's very nice. Um, And it's nice. That's the really cool thing about music is, I mean, the the boys and I did that when they were younger, is we would almost do the Weird Al Yankovic kind of stuff and make up songs to popular tunes. And it's fun and it raises your vibration. And it's, it's a great way to make it personal for, I love, love, love that she did this for her daughter. What a precious memory. I do too. And to take, for any new listeners who are like, what are they talking about this song for? I was saying that I didn't like the song because of the message. You know, you are my only sunshine. That puts a lot of pressure on a kid. Wow, I got to light up my mom's whole world. <laughs> so she changed that to, you are my sunshine, not my only sunshine. And instead of, you'll never know. It's, you know, she wrote, you'll always know. So I, I love the way she changed that. That's very, very nice. Um, our next one is, hi, I have a story I'd love to share. I believe that Samantha would enjoy this since she had something similar happen to her. For a while, I've been drawn to the Blessed Mother and felt a strong connection to her, even though I'm not a woman. I always was fascinated by the stories of Fatima and apparition in Guadalupe. One day, I went to the mall and was drawn to an amulet of Mother Mary, which I now know is referred to as a miraculous medal. I didn't have enough money financially to acquire it, so I held off, but I know I wanted it. A couple months passed and I looked for the medal, but couldn't find it until one day I went to a store where I was able to get that in a chain at a discounted rate. I loved my new medal and wore it every day until one day the chain broke. I returned the chain and decided to hold off on buying a new one until I paid off some debt. I felt sad that I couldn't wear it, but what could I do? I'm currently a busser and I would wear it under my clothes. One particular day I felt compelled to wear it, but I didn't have the chain. I got to work and an older woman was seated at a table, but it arrived very early, so had some time to spare. We started some small talk and the conversation took a religious turn when she asked me what religion I am. Typically, I would reply I used to be Catholic, but practice Buddhism. However, this time I felt very confident responding Catholic since I've been drawn to it for a while. 
The woman began telling me a story how she went through a rough period in her 30s, she's 68 right now, and was told to lay down on the floor in the shape of the cross and pour her heart out to Jesus. She had attended Catholic school since she was a little girl and had been devout ever since. She began to explain how she couldn't eat for three days and all of a sudden an apparition of the Blessed Mother herself materialized in her room. She described her as four feet tall and clothed in all white. The Blessed Mother put her to sleep and the next day she was able to eat and heal. Now while I'm being told the stories, my eyes, eyes kept darting at the woman's chest, looking for and feeling the chain that I had. She already had a bigger chain, but I felt the medallion so strongly. About two minutes later, after telling me about a second apparition, she pulls out the miraculous medal. I nearly fell to the floor. I explained to her that I had just bought one, but the chain broke. She told me that the darkness was preventing me from wearing it because whoever wears it will receive many blessings. She elaborated more about more of her life. I wanted to share because I feel that there was no coincidence at all. And once you accept the Blessed Mother into your life, she will show that she is around you. I also know that more signs of her are smelling roses. It was such an unbelievable experience. Just had to share. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that story. It's a very nice story. And it's also what I was thinking as I read it is, if you're comfortable with Catholicism or Buddhism or, or um, native teachings, I think that uh, the miraculous medal, the Mother Mary, is available in all religions and in all tones. That you, you don't, it doesn't have to be that I'm not a Catholic, I can't access these energies. Right, right. Mother Mary is represented in all religions under different names. Right. Yeah, right. I think that's important. Just to give everyone a little bit of history, the Miraculous Medal was introduced in, I think, 1830 to a, a nun, a Sister Catherine Labore. She had a vision where Mary appeared, and she was, in this vision, she was standing on a globe of the world, and she had all these rays of light coming out from her hands. And the Sister Catherine saw these words, O oh Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. And then the vision of Mary spoke to her and told her to have a medal struck with this model, this image, this vision that she was seeing. And she said, those who wear it will receive graces, especially if they wear it around their neck. And then the vision turned around and Sister uh, Catherine saw I think she's now St. Catherine, but anyway, and she saw the letter M surrounded by a cross with a bar at its base, and below that was um, a, the sacred heart of Jesus crowned with thorns, and the immaculate heart of Mary pierced with the sword. So the Catholic Church approved of the medal shortly after that, and then all these stories started coming in, and they've never stopped of people who receive miraculous blessings when wearing it. So it's, it's a kind of a neat thing to, to go ahead and, and research. But I think you make a good point. You don't have to be Catholic. You don't even have to pray to Mother Mary. It's just that mother energy. Yes. And however that materializes in your faith, I do think something special happens when we pray to that mother energy. Right. And, and it doesn't matter if you're praying to Mother Earth or Mother Mary or you know, it doesn't, it, it's all the same to, to me in my, again, my humble opinion, it's the same energy. It's the same yeah. energetic. And, and I have, I have a statue of Virgin Mary downstairs. I mean, I, I, that's my, my primary, what I was brought up with. It gives me comfort. She's in my dream team. 
Um, and I think that what the, the important part to remember is that there, there's energy, there's entities, there's ascended masters, there are religious people to help us through these times. So the one part that kind of jumped out at me was when the woman told this person the darkness was preventing from wearing it. And I, I have mixed feelings about that. I don't know about that. I'm going to have to do some thought. Well, I think if you believe in that, that could be true. I don't know, Denise, all my research into consciousness is making me rethink everything. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I think if you believe in that duality, that it exists. And I think if you don't, then maybe it doesn't exist. I don't know. Right. But, but it's a beautiful story and very, very appreciated because it's also highlighting how serendipitous things can be that... I need my metal. This is giving me strength and conviction. And then to have that person sit down, come early, have time for the conversation. You have to love how spirit figures things out to get us a message. Well, here's what I know. When you pray to Mary, she responds. Yes. I have never, ever, ever prayed to her without feeling some response or having some serendipitous event like this happen. There's a really, really great book by Beverly D'Onofrio. It's called Looking for Mary. She's the one who wrote that book that was turned into a movie with Drew Barrymore, uh, Riding in Cars with Boys. Oh, okay. It's such a good read. I've read it several times. And she's like this single mom and she, you know, is done with the Catholic church. And she's just kind of at this point in her life where she's cynical and bitter and and a friend comes into her house and she's like, are you Catholic? And Beverly's like, not anymore. And she said, well, why do you have all this Mary stuff all around? And Beverly goes, I don't. And she looks around her house and she does. She has several Mary statues. Mm -hmm. And they were such a part of her. She didn't even really recognize it. So she decides to start researching Mary and getting to know her. And it changes her whole life. She actually ends up moving to Guadalupe in Mexico where, she, where Mary appeared you know, with that famous Tawandi Diego. So it's just a really great read. I know um, it just in my life, if I reach out to her, I will get something really, really cool that happens in response. The first time I ever prayed to her was when I was a little girl and my mom was in the hospital two weeks before Christmas. And I really didn't know if my mom was going to make it or not. She was in the hospital for like two weeks and I went down to the hospital chapel and I prayed to Mary and I said, please help bring my mom home for Christmas. And can you please step in and be my mom either way? Oh. And when I walked out of the hospital, I was holding my dad's hand and I tripped over something soft and squishy in the parking lot. And I looked down and it was a hand crocheted ornament of Mother Mary. Wow. Now, granted, it was Christmas time. But what are the mm -hmm. odds that someone would drop that ornament, leave it in the parking lot, and I would find it 10 minutes after asking her to intercede for us? Right. That feels like a pretty clear sign. Very yeah. Very clear connection. No, one last thing before we move on to our next one, when you talk about how there are many mother figures, you know, for Mary, I have a Mary statue by my front door. And I thought, well, gosh, if she's guarding my front door, I need to have her guarding my back door. Mm -hmm. So I go out to the stone garden store where I had gotten her and I, I got another one. It was different, put another Mary statue and I put it at my back door. Years later, my friend is over, we're sitting out on the deck and she goes, why do you have a statue of Kuan Yin? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. So 
it's all mothering and it's all good. Mm -hmm. Okay, I will go ahead and read our next question. My partner is going through a serious depression stage where she barely cares about herself or even us as a couple. It's been very hard. I feel that I need to take a pause from the relationship. I have a lot of my own issues that I'm working on, and unfortunately, I'm not much help. I'm taking a few things personally when I know this isn't about me. I suppose I was wondering if you had any suggestions other than what I am doing. Well, I think that's a really difficult situation to go through when you're dealing with a partner, a loved one who's in that very, very depressed stage. It can feel very frustrating. It can make you feel very helpless. I had a roommate in college who would go through these depressive bouts and she wouldn't get out of bed for weeks on end. And Denise, ironically, it would make me angry. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if that's a normal response, but I cared about her so much and she was so fun and loving. And, and, and when she would get in those moods, we would try so hard to get her out of them. And it was like she resisted us. And that would kind of make me frustrated and angry until I started coming at it with compassion and just instead of saying to her, just get out of bed and come join us. I just tried to look at her with compassion and I would just say, can I get you anything? Do you want someone to sit with you? Do you want to watch movies or do you just want to be alone? Like you let me know. Mm -hmm. So I would check in with her, but I would just kind of leave her alone. But we all did get together towards the end of that semester and we had a bit of an intervention and she did end up going to see a therapist and that helped. But the therapist did explain to her that this was probably something she would deal with on and off the rest of her life. And I think that's a really hard thing to hear, whether it's you dealing with it or you, the partner. I also think it's important that depression is a very insidious disease and no one is exempt. It doesn't have anything to do with your address, your bank account, who your family is. It's, it's a very, anyone can be impacted by this. It's also a sense of hopelessness and loss and grief. And I'm saying this because there are some dear people in my life that suffer from depression. Uh, when I was much younger, I had bouts of depression, not to the point of it being debilitating, but to the point where it impacted my life. And I think another really strong consideration, especially for the people who are listening in our our audience, is that a lot of times, if you are a highly sensitive, intuitive, empathic person, depression can be something that that you face because you are so highly sensitive and you you may suck up so much of other people's things that it may not even be your stuff, but it can be a catalyst to falling in that hole. And for so many folks, it seems like the answer is to throw medication at it or to you just need more exercise or you don't. And for those around someone with depression, it is very, um, it's a helpless feeling. It can be annoying. It can be, why don't you just, why won't you try? Why won't you at least get up? And I think we need as a society to be more patient, but also to reach out to the folks that are suffering and help them make it okay or help them find their peace with it. So when you said that it could be a lifelong affliction, very much so, but I also think that as sensitive people, we can be hit with that more often than not. Yeah, and I think for the loved one, it's so frustrating. And she's expressing that she wants to take a break, and I understand that. And I think as she's going through this with her partner, 
she needs to take care of herself and check in with her partner. So it needs to be a very careful balance where the partner doesn't feel abandoned or neglected or betrayed because of her depression. But the, the listener needs to still focus on herself. I think it's really hard whenever there's a loved one in the home who's dealing with an issue, whether it's a physical or mental issue, it's like planets orbiting around the sun and we can get lost in that caretaking. And I think when you're with someone who's depressed, it's almost like yawning. It's contagious. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, you know, snap out of it yourself and feel up and bright. And I know, you know, like my mom would get into not depressed modes, more angry modes where she would just like, you know, sit and watch TV. And, and I'd come home from this great day at school and I have all these fun, happy things to tell her. And I'd come in and the, the blinds would be down and the TV would be on. And, and like my whole mood would just like a curtain being drawn. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nope, got to go out. And I would just go right back out because I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And so I would recommend to this listener, if your partner won't go to therapy, you go to therapy because you need to learn coping mechanisms for dealing with this. And you need to send a message to yourself that you're worth being taken care of too. Don't get lost in the caring. And what I love in this note is that the, the person who wrote it said that he or she also has their own issues that they're working on and doesn't feel like they're much help and taking things personally when I know it's not about me because it is really hard when you're around someone that is suffering from depression to not take it personally. So I feel like this person is owning the whole situation. He or she has said it's been very hard. Feeling to need to take a pause from the relationship, that's a big, big decision to make. It is, but you need to give yourself permission to do that if that's what you need. And you can take a break from a relationship while still being in a relationship. Does that make sense? Like I I call it going into roommate syndrome where you're not necessarily connecting on um, a vulnerable intimate level, but you are taking an emotional step back to really take care of yourself. And, And I think that's okay. I'm not a therapist. I could be wrong, but I, I just think you have to learn how to take care of yourself in those quicksand type feelings of situations. And let's just ask all listeners to send a prayer out to everyone dealing with depression, especially over the holidays and to all family and friends trying to take care of people dealing with depression. Yes. And in Northern climates with the lack of light, that can also be a catalyst for depression is seasonal affective disorder. And just as a a note, if you are suffering from that and you're in a climate where there isn't enough daylight, I highly, highly recommend the happy light and the full spectrum light. It hits the cones in your eyes and it tricks your brain into thinking that you're getting enough sunlight. So it's something to consider if this is an issue for you or someone you love. Okay, let's take a quick break just to remind people who we are and we'll dive back into the questions You're listening to Enlightened Empaths with Samantha and Denise. We are going to be debuting our spring classes soon. We're going to get it all on our website. I'm hoping to get it all on the website before the holiday start. 
Um, so sometime in the first or second week in December, and we'll have all of the classes that we're going to be teaching on there. I'm going to be teaching a manifesting class and a Be Your Own Psychic class. Denise is going to be putting together some awesome classes herself. And then together, of course, we're teaching our beloved mediumship classes. So we'll be announcing all of that soon. If you want to connect with me for anything on my online store, my website is samanthafay.com. And my last name is spelled like Tina Fey, no relation, F-E-Y. And Denise is at thegratefulmessenger.com. Do you want to people tell people what you're offering? I just wanted to mention that Jen Edwards from thankgoddess.org is going to be offering an amazing uh, introduction astrology class. It's a beginner's class to help you learn to lear- read your chart. It starts January 19th. It's all over Zoom. It's for an hour and a half on Sundays. And it's $177 if you do the early bird prices before uh, December 25th. It's only $222 after that. And all the video and worksheets are emailed after the class, so attendance isn't required. So if you're in a different time zone or your schedule is really packed, but you'd really love to learn some intro astrology stuff, Jen's your lady, and this could be an amazing opportunity. So it's, if you want more information, you can go to thankgoddess.org. And also, the, the RV adventure is going to continue, and I will be leaving Maine in the end of December, beginning of January, and heading down south. So I'm going to be in Florida during the month of January, Possibly if anyone would like to do an in-person reading, you can pop me a note and we'll see. And um, I'm very excited. There's no timeline. There's no parameters. It's just kind of free fall and see where life goes for a while. Very excited Um, about that. I'm so excited to virtually watch you do that and hear about your adventures. And the dogs are coming, right? Yes. Yes, the dogs will be with me. That's awesome. We'll have fun. We'll play Willie Nelson on the road again. (laughs) It's great. You ready for our next one? I am. Hello, I've been binge listening to your podcast. I'm so happy I found this information. I've been searching for some clarity on the empath narcissist dynamic and have a very specific question. Have you heard of empaths developing or learning narcissistic traits or maybe being worried that they may have narcissistic tendencies? If so, do you have any tools for recommendations to ensure that they're not guilty of the very same behaviors that caused so much harm. Like the story of most empaths, I grew up in a broken household with two parents and an eldest sister with narcissistic-like tendencies. While I score 15 out of 20 on Judith Orloff's empath quiz and most empath quizzes, I often fear that I may have picked up narcissistic behaviors and may be hurting others. It's a fear I've had all of my life. I especially wonder this after I've experienced emotional overwhelm and may have misjudged your situation or ask too much of a close friend, provided too unreasonable of a boundary, or fail to notice their boundaries and cues. I guess what I'm saying is, it's difficult to know if I'm being too self-centered or playing the victim, and if I'm justified in asserting myself. I really don't like the idea that I would cause harm to others that way it's been caused for me. But I also don't want to overcompensate and go into people-pleasing mode. Wow. Well, we had Dr. Northrup on the show a while back when she wrote her book, Dodging Energy Vampires, and she brought this up, and she talks about it in her book, so I would recommend that read. She says, if you're asking the question, am I a narcissist, 
you are not a narcissist. What do you think about that? Because she says narcissists don't have that capacity for self-reflection. They don't worry if they're a narcissist. Right. And I think for, because I've had the same concerns and I, I know for a lot of folks and for, and for myself, the last several months, it feels like there's, or in general, as empathic people, it feels like we'll replay things over and over in our head and look at it with a magnifying glass. Did I say the wrong thing? Did I do the wrong thing? Maybe I'm overlapping that with old codependent behaviors. I don't know. But I think, again, I agree with, with Dr. Northrup on that, is if you're worried so much, then sometimes do you wonder if it's a survival mode to get through a situation with severely narcissistic people in your life? That you, you, not that you become that, but that you may pick up some of those tendencies to protect yourself or get through something. Right. Right. And I think some, some behaviors we do learn from the narcissist we're raised with, and I think they do have to be unlearned. Yes. It doesn't mean you're a narcissist. It means you just were marinated in this belief system that you need to tweak a little bit. I, I remember when I was in high school and I got my car, I would drive my friends places and my mom would say, they're using you. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of, that was like a mantra that she would always say. Or if I had friends over and I asked again, can friends come over? She'd say, well, have they had you over? Everything was a tit for tat. Mm -hmm. And so I had to really unlearn that type of thinking. So something she could do is think about what are some of the beliefs I bought into as a kid that I need to no longer buy into? Right. And how do you feel when you're setting those boundaries or asserting yourself? Like sometimes even now, if I'm saying no or asserting myself or saying this is what I need, I get very anxious, like nervous, nervous feeling in my solar plexus of, I don't know if it's a reflection of being shy for so many years or do I have a right to do this, but it can flare up at any time. <laughs> Yeah, it really, and kind of unexpectedly, right? It yes. comes out of the blue. Yeah, yeah. But I have to say, knowing you as well as I do now, Denise, you asking yourself, am I a narcissist? Is like you looking in the mirror and saying, hmm, do I have red hair today? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it's similar for this listener too. It's, it's a good sign, in my opinion, that you're asking that question. We all look, narcissism, like any type of personality, is a spectrum. Right. We all have some type of narcissistic qualities to us. The line in this of, am I being too self centered? I think that that's a really difficult thing for a lot of empathic people of right. not wanting to be, oh, me, me, me. So there's that, am I getting my needs met or asserting myself or am I being self-consumed and rarely if ever have I ever met a self-consumed empath have you no okay no no I, I think what can happen with empaths who are raised with narcissist people is that they empaths raised in those homes often feel ashamed for having needs yes and what the narcissist does is they project everything onto the little empath kid. So the empath is thinking everything is their problem and their fault. And that mm -hmm. can, I would believe, make you feel self-centered, but it's an illusion. Makes sense. Yeah. 
However, I was doing research for a show we're doing on psychic teachers, and I was reading something Alan Watts said, the philosopher writer from the 1960s. Mm-hmm. He said, everyone needs to contemplate this fact. We are all selfish. And he said, this selfishness is a good thing because what it does, if you explore and investigate it with honesty, it leads to self-love. Isn't that a hard thing to consider? That feels foreign to me. Yeah. But I want to think about it, (laughs) if that makes any sense. No, no, it really does. It really does. If, If you listen to him, he's... I was just listening to him on YouTube and then I started reading him. So you can listen to all his speeches on YouTube, which is awesome because he has a really wonderful voice and he explains things so well. And so he has a gentle way about him. So it it wasn't like he was saying, everyone is selfish and you need to think about that. He was just saying, look, we are all selfish. We are all looking out for ourselves. We are all seeking our own advantage. And there's nothing wrong with that because if you contemplate it, Why are you seeking your own advantage? Because you love yourself. And so if you push through that, what you'll find, the little nugget of gold, is that you actually do love yourself. It also feels necessary for you to honor what you came here to do. Right. That if you are a little bit selfish and going after what you're trying to accomplish or what you feel you came here to do on the planet, then it might not be what everyone else around you wants you to be doing. So you're honoring that soul seed in yourself by being a little selfish. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so we'll move on to the next question. Hello, Denise and Samantha. Love your show. I've been working on how to determine which feelings that I feel are mine and which are others. Recently, my husband and I met with a potential backup sitter for our kids. After coming off fairly confidently, she opened up about her recent struggles with her own youngest child having extreme colic and how she has some worries if the baby cries. While she was bringing this up, I had an overwhelming feeling of anxiety. I wasn't feeling it initially. It just felt like it completely absorbed my body. I was on the verge of hyperventilating as we left. The feeling absolutely stayed, but dissipated as we drove away from her. I've been wearing crystals such as black tourmaline for protection, but I've never felt this intense feeling. When such a strong emotion comes on suddenly, How can I stop it? While we liked this potential babysitter, we ultimately decided to go with someone else. Well, Denise, when I read this first, my my first impression was that's mama bear intuition. Mm -hmm. Don't you think like if you're if a babysitter is confessing to you that her own child has colic and she doesn't know what to do when the baby cries and she worries about it, I would be so worried about having a someone like that watch my children because I'd be thinking about shaken baby syndrome or my head would go in total extremes because I think that's just the mama bear in all of us. Yes. And so I think this was her intuition, her emotional um, empathic intuition speaking to her that this is not the right person for me. Not that there's anything wrong with this woman. I mean, God knows if anyone has raised a colicky baby you know how you worry every time a baby cries because it's almost like PTSD triggers, right? Right. But I think what this listener was doing was this anxiety that she felt. I think it was twofold. I think one, she was feeling the anxiety that this babysitter was feeling when her own child cries. And two, I think she was feeling the anxiety of this woman 
shouldn't take on a whole lot more like my own children until this episode of, of colic abates. Okay. The, the other point that this person makes is that it, the feeling went away. It dissipated as they drove away from the situation. So was it environmental energy? But my, my gut feeling and my premise in life is don't ever, ever ignore if you're having that strong of a visceral reaction to something or someone that's instinctual. And I'm sure the person was lovely and there were reasons. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the reason is. Honoring that is a step to opening up to spirit to say, I trust you. I agree. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do for budding empaths is to really trust that initial response and reaction we get to someone. Because we all walk around with these lovely masks. You know, no one comes up and says, hi, I'm dealing with devout anxiety and I'm not sure I'm right for this job. Right. No one, you know, no one does that. No one shakes your hand and says, inside, I'm really a cold sociopath. We all walk around with smiles and masks and warm, friendly handshakes. And so we have to rely on that natural innate sixth sense to help us navigate who we should let in and who we should not. And just like Denise said, it doesn't mean this baby, this potential babysitter was a bad person or was going to harm her child. I think that anxiety was just her picking up on this woman's anxiety and her intuition telling her this is not going to be a good match for the family. Right. And when those strong feelings do come on that suddenly, it's overwhelming. You and I both have this happen to us. Mm -hmm. And how can I stop it? I, I would rephrase that to how, what do I need to pay attention to or what, because for it to be so sudden, there's a reason. It's similar to if someone cuts you off in traffic and you get that adrenaline rush and you slam the brakes and it's just like you go into shock for like a, a, a millisecond. It's kind of that feeling. Right. And then you calm down. So I, I do think that there's a physical reaction to that. Right. And so you're right. You shouldn't stop it. But once it comes on and you pay attention to it, at least for me, the extreme of those feelings, they, they aren't as intense since I fully opened up to my intuition. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you start to have that kind of nonverbal communication with the universe, it doesn't have to talk to you that loudly anymore. Right. But there are some things you can do metaphysically. Um, I've talked before about how crossing my fingers helps me a lot if I'm picking up on someone's energy. If I cross my fingers, it kind of crosses those meridians that are feeling everything or mm -hmm. crossing your arms in front of your, your solar plexus chakra, like we always, you know, just cross your arms normally. That can help. Uh, shaking it off when you're, like if, if you're in the car and you're driving away, just actually shaking your hands to kind of shake the energy out and breathing deep belly breaths. They really help us process those emotions. You know, those deep yoga breaths where you inhale and you expand your belly. And I'm you a big fan of the exhale. breathing. Me too. Very big fan of that, yes. Breathing's good. Mm -hmm. So we hope that helps. You ready for the next one? I am. Hi, Samantha and Denise. Thank you both for all that you do. Your podcast is wonderful and inspiring. My question is with regard to manifestation. My husband and I have a beautiful, almost four-year-old daughter, conceived naturally, and have been trying for over a year for a second child. I'm what is considered in the medical field as advanced maternal age because I'm over 40. I've gone to see two reproductive endocrinologists 
And while they both diagnosed me with unexplained secondary infertility, the first was adamant that I would never get pregnant with my eggs and needed IVF and donor eggs. This sent me spiraling, spiraling because up until that point, I truly felt that it would happen for us naturally. The second specialist is much more positive and has a plan to, in place to move forward. As a side note, I've had several psychic readings in the past three years, all of which has pointed to having another child without my asking. Two different readers said twins. I'm generally a relaxed individual, but it's taking way longer this time and I'm beginning to lose hope. I meditate, have crystal grids, and as a good patient, I follow all of the suggested dietary and exercise changes. I can't remember where I found this information, but I remember reading that if you try to manifest too hard, it becomes desperate and won't work. My other concern is that with manifestation, I'm to focus on the result and not worry about the how. So is my wanting to have this work as natural as possible interfering with the manifestation process? I keep thinking of that story the man is on the roof in the flood and three boats come to rescue him. Each time he refuses the boat and says, nope, God will save me. Then he drowns and in heaven asks God, why didn't you save me? And God answered, I sent three boats. I'm just afraid of trying too hard to control the how and I will miss the boat. Thanks for any insight you can provide and thanks again for your show. And this is another very emotionally deep, volatile, vulnerable place is when you want a child so badly and there are some fertility issues. I've had someone close to me deal with this and it's, it's devastating. It really is. It's devastating on a physical, emotional, and spiritual level. Yes. Be, I mean, physically you have to deal with the hormone shots and all the effects of that. You have to deal with the financial, the financial cost of it, all the doctor's appointments emotionally you have to deal with so much because i think there is this unspoken innate cultural thing that says that's our job as women you know our whole body every 28 days is designed so that we can reproduce and when someone says you can't do that it feels so much deeper than just what the doctor is saying and then there's spiritual repercussions because you think this is such a simple thing to ask. Why isn't this happening? Mm -hmm. And so I, I do think it's important to go through all of those emotions. However, I, I think she's answered her own question. I do believe that surrender is the only way to manifest the desired outcome. I have worked with a lot of clients who have dealt with this. And the mantra I always give them is the one I suggested to my sister when she was dealing with this. And that's one way or another, I will be a mother. Because I think that mantra helps you surrender the how. Mm -hmm. You know, because maybe a child needs to come to you in a different way. Maybe it is through a donor egg or through adoption or the process of IVV, IVF. Maybe it is natural. How many stories have you heard, Denise, of parents who have struggled with infertility and they adopt? And the minute the adoption papers go through, the woman gets pregnant naturally. Mm -hmm. I think that just shows how we have to focus on surrender as hard as that is with something like this. And to make sure that it doesn't, not to miss out on already having this wonderful little person in your life. 
Right. You've been very blessed. And I don't mean that as a, a judgy kind of statement, but uh, I think that would be even more difficult when it is secondary infertility because you know my body has done this before. Why can't I do it again? Yeah, I think that is hard. And it's hard to hear at 40 that you're post-maternal age or all those labels they throw at you it's it's just so difficult to hear and to deal with and you just you, we just ex expect it to happen naturally the way culture tv movies books have always portrayed it to happen and and so that's always very very hard but i would just suggest that she open herself up to having this child in any way that the universe wants to provide this child to her and once she opens that door, it allows for all the possibilities, natural and IVF and donor eggs. But if you're just holding on to that one thing, it can, it can close some other doors. Okay, our next question says, one of your episodes recently resonated with me was the one about the, being the child of a narcissist. I've been struggling with my relationship with my mother, and I've been wanting to speak with a therapist or someone about it. I'd never considered that the issue could be she's a narcissist, but after hearing your podcast, it all makes so much sense to me. Back in June of this year, she told me via text that she didn't want to speak to me. I decided to write her a letter to express all of the things I've been feeling since I was a teenager. I'm 35 now and have a 21-month-old baby. My mom has been such a mess since he was born, and it just breaks my heart. She also stopped talking to me when I was about seven months pregnant, but it only lasted a few weeks that time. Since I wrote the letter in June, I haven't heard from her. She doesn't even like the pictures of my son online, and one of the main reasons I'm putting them on there is just so she can see him growing up. I knew that she wouldn't want to hear everything that I wrote, but I needed to say things to her for my own self. I'm torn because I just can't believe she doesn't want to be a part of my son's life but I'm also so thankful to not have to deal with her toxic energy. A part of me wonders if I need to just let it all go like I usually do, or if I should just let her reach out to me when she's ready to. I've come to terms with the fact that she's probably not going to change, and I don't even care anymore if she apologizes. I don't want my son to miss out on her, but I also want to protect him from her. I'm not sure if I'm asking for advice about my mom or if I already know that I've done what I can, and she's not going to change, and that's okay. I plan to continue to listen so I can learn how to better use my gifts. Thanks again. Oh, that's such a difficult situation to be in. I think the fact that she has realized and recognized what her mother is, that's half the battle. Because for so long, just not knowing what exactly you're dealing with can lead to a lot of finger pointing at yourself. Is it me? Did I do something wrong? And realizing that she's, no, she's just a narcissist is so freeing. Having the courage to write that letter, I mean, Denise, that takes a lot of courage, don't you think? Very much so. Very, very much so. I, I think having that self-love and faith and, and validation within your heart to say, I'm going to put everything you've made me feel on paper I just think that's very courageous. I think more people should do it. And the fact that she hasn't responded, well, if you read books on narcissists, that's really, really typical. Because 
once they are confronted with their quote unquote crimes or abuses or whatever words you want to put in there, they will either, they'll do a couple of things. Some of them will just project it, mirror it right back to you. Uh, But very often they will just go radio silent and they will just block you out of their lives. And that's, that's painful, but I think it's a good indication that you were heard. Yes. And I think another part to consider is if you're feeling that you need to protect your children so that they don't experience the same things you may have experienced, you need to honor that. And you need to honor that on a personal soul level, not what every, because a lot of people have a lot of opinions about what you're supposed to do and you'll regret this or this is how you should do it. To me, that's very, very personal how you choose to, to navigate those waters. I agree. One thing that my therapist said to me when I was, because I'm always dealing with this debate, you know, am I going to engage my mom on a daily level or, or not? And he said to me, no matter what you do, you're going to have drama. If you engage her on a daily level, there's going to be drama. If you don't engage her, if you pull back, there's going to be drama because other family members are going to be like, what are you doing? How can you do that? There's going to be guilt, recrimination, feelings of shame, feelings of remorse. He said, so no matter what you choose, you're going to have shit on your plate. Mm -hmm. Choose your shit. That's what he said to me. Right. And, And that was very freeing to realize no matter what you choose, there's going to be some type of not so great response. So choose the one that you can deal with right now. And for me, what I did was I always just kept my focus on my kids. And if anything pulled my focus off my children, it wasn't worth my time. Right. And that helped me to prioritize. So I, I would recommend that she honor this silence that her mother is gifting her with and let it be for now, not forever, just for now. Let it be and ride this wave and focus on yourself and your beautiful son and enjoying creating memories that are positive and happy and healthy with him and, and have some joy in not having this toxic energy in your life. It'll come back, trust me. But for now, try to enjoy it. Good advice. Thank you. Uh, our next question is, hi, ladies. Of course, I have to start by going all fangirl for a moment. I absolutely love your podcast. I've learned so much from both of you and feel like you both get me. I can't tell you how many times I've been listening to one of you say something and I, I have the same exact response as the other has. Thank you for sharing your wisdom through this podcast. I was raised Catholic, became a born-again Christian at 22, and now at 49, I'm going through a major spiritual transition. I'm still a Christian, but I'm questioning some of what I've blindly accepted. I was hoping you could offer some insight, opinion on something that happened to me recently. On an older episode, you were discussing how beds hold on to energy. My bed was purchased during my first marriage, and my ex cheated on me in it. I'm long over that. But I wondered if the bed wasn't hanging on to some deceitful energy. The next time I went home, I'm a truck driver and gone for three or four weeks at a time, I decided I was going to smudge the bed. I didn't want to get rid of the bed. It's too comfortable. I have this sage smudge and protection spray mist, and I sprayed every square inch of the top of the mattress while all of the bedding was going through the laundry. 
later that night, I was arranging some jewelry on the bed to take a picture of it, and I heard and felt something run from the bedroom. It sounded about the size of a small child or a medium-sized dog. About an hour after that, I was sitting on my couch and smelled fried chicken. It was 11 at night. No one was cooking fried chicken. My paternal grandmother, who passed in 1993, loved fried chicken and was very close to her. The next day, I was telling a friend about all of this. The friend and I discussed anything and everything. He is the only one I could tell about this that wouldn't tell me I've gone insane. His response was, be careful. I've read that evil spirits will often present as children because they seem harmless and people don't think to try to get rid of them. You're on this spiritual journey, learning and growing, and dark energy won't like that. My friend speculated that I stirred up some dark energy and the fried chicken smell was a sign that my grandmother was there protecting me. The day after that, he told me that he'd had a dream about me. In this dream, he'd seen me in about five different places, restaurant, grocery store, park, and each time there was this young male hovering over my shoulder. He described him as young, good-looking, small, with dark hair, eyes, and complexion. I commented him about being the demon I sprayed out of the mattress. I did take this seriously, but I'm not the kind of person who freaks out. I asked if I seemed to be aware of his presence in the dream. The answer was no. My second question was, did you feel like this presence knew that you knew he was there? The answer was yes. That night, I did a free oracle reading on Colette Baron Reed's site, and my question was, what do you want me to know about my friend's dream? In summary, the message from the three cards I drew were, walk my walk, mind my purpose, and enjoy the journey. I told my friend about that, and he again cautioned me to be careful. Ray is kind of the yin to my yang. I'm more of a free spirit, and he tends to be more guarded. I feel like as long as I'm being mindful about protection, crystals, prayers, smudging, intention, etc., and trusting that I'm being protected, then I'll be fine. I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of this. Thanks. I'm going to let you go with this one. Okay. Well, I do think that if you have a negative entity in your home, it, that is true. It will often present itself as a child. However, I also believe if you have something this negative that we're talking demonic, you don't guess. Like all the research I've done, and I've done quite a bit on this, you don't ever sit in your home going, hmm, I wonder if there's a demonic presence in my home, because you will know. There will be so much paranormal stuff going on. You'll wake up with scratches or bite marks. You'll have nightmares. There'll be discord like crazy in the home. Uh, sounds, I mean, you will know. It's not like, hmm, I wonder. So I don't think that's what's going on, in, in my opinion. I think she needs to trust herself. She felt positive about this. She felt that her grandmother was protecting her. She had this validated with her card reading. I think she needs to trust herself. So I think everything her friend is saying is true if you're dealing with a demonic situation. I think that little cloud of energy she felt and, and heard running out of her room was the smudge doing its job. Everything that we do emits energy and everything is energy. So if there was negative energy in that mattress, I mean, first of all, think about your bed. I don't know about you guys, but when I lay in bed at night, that's when I worry, right? Like 
throughout the day, I'm like, ooh, to do, to do. And then when I lay in bed at night, it's like, ooh, did I get this done? Did I get that done? What about, what am I going to do 20 years from now? When the, I mean, I worry. And so all of those worries go into my mattress. Do you believe that, Denise? I do, and I've worked really hard to not do that anymore. Like, it happens. I think we all have those 2 o'clock in the morning. We wake up, and it's, it starts spinning out of control. But I've really, really worked hard over the years at trying to separate sleep time and, and rest time from lifetime. Yes, and I think that's important to actually work on that. But don't you agree that it's usually at night? It's not when you're oh, yes. eating lunch with your friend or you're working or you're driving here or there. It's usually at night when you're on your bed. So I think in addition to the mattress holding all this energy from her ex cheating on her, it's also holding all the energy from her grieving that adultery, grieving being alone, grieving starting over again. And I think when she intentionally set out to smudge that mattress of all that negative worry and energy and fear and sadness that it had accumulated, that energy is a thing. And it accumulated into this little cloud that ran out of the room because that's what the smudge, the smudge had it do. And I think her grandmother too. Well, that's what I was going to say. That, I mean, smell and fried chicken, that's a lovely, <laughs> that's a lovely sign. Exactly. Yeah. Especially since she, she, you know, that's what her, her grandmother loved or his grandmother loved that. What a beautiful, beautiful way to know I'm here. I'm watching out for you. It's going to be okay. Exactly. Exactly. So I think she just, or he needs to trust what, what you're initially feeling, which is I got rid of this negative energy. My grandmother's here protecting me. I am okay. So I'm not negating anything, you know, that Ray said about this situation, no. uh, because I do think that's all very true, that that dark stuff can hide and all of that. I just don't think she's dealing with that. I think this is a situation of her cleansing and releasing and truly cutting cords to this old energy, and it formed into a little cloud. And I think those dreams he had could be more just what he was thinking and what he was worrying for her. That makes sense. Okay. Our next question says, thank you for this week's show. Recently, I had to go home to Ohio to help my parents after my aunt had died. My relationship with my dad is like yours with your mom, Samantha. It was the repeats of your show that helped me get through. At one point, I wasn't even sure my mom would allow me to go back to Florida. I'd not been back home for 15 years. This summer has been very bad with my parents' health, and my mom was suddenly acting as nasty towards me as my dad had always been. I really have no one to talk to about this beyond a shallow level. Where standing up for myself is frowned upon, and I'm wrong in cutting ties for my own peace of mind. But the steps you all talked about in the show, I had mostly worked out with my guide and spiritual team. It gave me peace of mind knowing that taking a break was the right thing to do. You all are awesome. Thank you for sharing the light. Denise, I just thought this was such an important email to share because this is something I have dealt with in my own life and I've seen clients and friends deal with this too. When you stand up for yourself, it is frowned upon. When you decide to cut ties from a toxic relationship, it is judged. And I'm just really happy to know that some of our shows have helped alleviate or change some of that instinctual judgment and frowning that goes on 
when people finally stand up and say, no, no more. Right. It's also when your parents are involved, you're dealing with all of these issues, but also the ingrained patterns, the, if you grew up where you always respect your parents, no matter what, I mean, that's, that's bringing out the inner child stuff as well as the adult needing to set boundaries or cut ties or take care of yourself. It can be a very lonely, overwhelming place to be. Yeah, it really, really can. And there are very few people who truly understand what it is like to be in a situation like that. And so I understand what this listener says, you know, I really have no one to talk to about this beyond a shallow level. I, I thought that was a really good statement because so few people understand. The one thing I always say is every time a parent says something humiliating, mean, shameful to you, pretend it's a punch. Would you let someone punch you in the face over and over? No. And if you stood up to someone and said to, you, to a judgy friend, hey, I'm not going to talk to my dad anymore because every time I talk to him, he punches me. Do you think that friend would go, oh, no, no, the Bible says honor thy parent. You go back there, go back in that ring and get punched again. No, nobody would say that. They'd say, hell yeah, you need to get out of that situation. But we don't see emotional abuse the same way. And I, I do think recent studies are changing that and showing that emotional abuse is uh, just as traumatizing as physical abuse. But if you go to a friend and you say, gosh, my dad's always picking on me and he's mean and he tells me I'm no good and I'm never going to do this or that, nine times out of 10, the friend's going to go, oh, well, you know, parents, just be grateful your dad's still here. The internal trauma of emotional abuse versus the physical impact of that type of abuse. A bruise will heal, a bone will mend, but the emotional stuff, especially if you're an empath or a highly sensitive person, in my, again, humble opinion, can be deeper and more heartfelt because you it's harder to release. It doesn't heal as quickly. Yeah. Yeah. A, a book that I'm reading and I'm, I'm getting Denise to read too <laughs> so we can do a show on it. But I would recommend for this listener, it's called Childhood Disrupted, How Your Biography Becomes Your Biology and How You Can Heal by Donna Jackson Nakazawa. I'm sure I mispronounced that, but it's really, really good. And it's, it's very scientific-y. And so it's just a bunch of science that shows the traumatizing effects of emotional abuse. And I, I think it's just important to stay up to date on that and read that so that you can give yourself the validation you deserve if you're not getting it from other friends and other family members. Oh, and one more thing I want to say, Denise, I think a lot of other family members, when you finally stand up for yourself and set that boundary, oftentimes you'll get negative reactions from other family members, not because you're doing the wrong thing, but because your strength and courage and confidence is holding up a very big mirror to them. And it makes them uncomfortable because they have pushed this down for so many years. They don't want to deal with it. They just want to keep walking around that elephant in the room and, and keep petting the elephant and putting little sweaters over the elephant. They don't want to deal with it. But when you decide to stand up and deal with it, suddenly your siblings and maybe the other parent or whoever has to say, well, shit, now I have to deal with this too. And instead of doing that, 
they tend to just side with the abuser and say, no, 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 you're wrong because it's easier. It's more comfortable. It's what they know. It's easier. And it's also the individual perspective of the situation. What you or I may perceive as a certain situation, a sibling may see in a completely different light. Exactly. To, to, to take care of yourself in that. And even if everyone is saying, that never happened that way, or you're crazy, or they're not treating you that way. If it feels that way to you, you have to honor that. that. Yes, you do. Good point. Our next question. Hi, ladies. I have a question about a dream. I had a little girl come to me in a dream the other night. The little girl is in the fourth grade, and she's in my son's class. I know her from substituting at his school last year. The little girl was waving frantically at me, She was right in my face. She was very happy and giggling and just really trying to get my attention. It was so real. I was shocked to see her because I have no relationship with her. I asked her if she was dead, and she said no and laughed and giggled some more. I asked her if she had a message for me, and she said yes and continued playing joyfully, waving and smiling. I fell back asleep before I could get any message from her. What do you make of this? Do you think this is an example of how when we are in our earth bodies, we travel at night back to spirit? Do you think this is what she was doing? I honestly have no idea what her message could be for me, and I wish I'd been able to stay awake long enough to hear it, but it was an awesome experience regardless. Just curious about your thoughts on this. Well, I thought about this for a while because I do think that our spirits travel and we visit and connect with other people all the time on the dream astral level. But I th- when I read this and I really thought about it, I I think this was the message that was coming to this listener was to play, to giggle, to laugh, to have joy. I don't think that the little girl was trying to, to tell her something because other than that, because if the little girl was trying to tell her a message about the little girl's life, she wouldn't have been so happy in the dream. Do you agree with that? I I do. I do. I think that that's a good, and what popped into my head as I was reading it was also, does she need to integrate that younger self? And similar to what you're saying, that fun, that playful, that joyful, bring some some new energy in, that that younger energy back. Right. Because I was thinking, you know, at my daughter's own school, it used to be that the, so their school's K through eight. And it used to be that 6th, 7th, and 8th grade was kept upstairs and kind of secluded from the elementary school. And a couple of years ago, they changed it a little, and 5th grade is now upstairs. Because research is starting to show that childhood kind of ends around the age of 10. That whole, it's so sad, that whole like playing with dolls and playing with Legos. And I mean, it's not true for everyone. And surely my kids still play with Barbies a little bit here and there throughout the fifth and sixth grade, but not much. It really tapered off. And so I I wonder if symbolically fourth grade is sort of like that whole childhood thing. And I think the dream was a message for her to get back to fun and get back to being more like a child and being present and giggling and having jolly moments more often yes i agree and that's a nice way to end the show is just on an upbeat of we all need that we all need more fun and joy and happiness and light in our lives and doesn't matter how you find it but raising your vibration is going to help somebody else raise theirs and that's the key i really believe that 
I do too. I do too. To have fun and to enjoy. You know, my kids are all teenagers now. I still get them games and toys for Christmas. Not a ton, but I always get something fun and silly for them to play with on Christmas Day. And I kind of do it selfishly for me because I love having that reminder to play. You know what one of my friends got me recently? The, you know, the clue game? Mm hmm. Well, she got me Golden Girls clue game. (laughs) And so you have to find who hid Sophia's purse. Anyway, I love it. It's so fun. And I just think we do need to give ourselves permission, especially as we head into the intense holidays and then kind of the melancholy ending of the year type stuff. We need to give ourselves permission and schedule out time to just play, have fun, to dance, to be in the moment. So I hope that's a reminder, not only to that listener, but to all of us to have fun this month. So we hope you guys have enjoyed this and given you guys something to think about. If you have a question, a dream, a story, some insight that you'd like to share with us, please feel free to email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can message us on Facebook at Enlightened Empaths. Thanks so much for listening. Please remember, as always, show up. Do great work. Share your light. Take care.